All right, so the past few weeks have had us walking through this hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Um, I told you last night, it's been like, I feel like we've been in this for a long time, and it's good. Uh, and so that includes Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, and Joseph uh, last week. All different stories, all great examples of faith. Different situations from leaving a hometown to sacrificing a son. Uh, each story shows faith in the light of something coming against that faith. That's sin, fear, persecution. Something is always coming against their faith. And something will always come against our faith. And so as we continue with adding Moses to this list today, I, I do want to remind you of, of a few things of who you are um, if you've been changed by the work of Christ and the cross. So you'll know where you can kind of place all this information about incredible faith and works from Moses or anyone else in Scripture. If you are a new creation, if you are a son or daughter of God, you are saved from the power and penalty of sin, from the wrath of God, only by the saving power of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. That is how you're saved. When Jesus took on all the sins of the world, that included yours. You are covered by the blood of the perfect lamb. The father now sees Jesus when he looks at you, not because you've worked hard enough to be like Jesus, because Jesus paid the debt. It's over. Why would God look to you when Jesus is the one who took care of it? If me and Lucy, Lucy go to the creamery, they're not going to give her the ticket and say, all right, where's their money? They're, they're, I'm, I'm paying, or I'm, I've paid. They're not going to look to her. Why would God, the father, look to you. And so the thing is, we know all that. We know we've been saved. We know we're covered with Jesus. We don't believe it all the time, but we definitely know it. At some point in every sermon, I, I do think it's a good um, idea to remind uh, us all, myself included, as I get to preach uh, of all of that, though. For me, it's, it's always been helpful um, to be reminded of who God is, now what he has done through Jesus and then who that makes me, so then I can get to the doing. And so then when I uh, sit down to read or pray, when I get to meet with someone, when I go to work, when I'm about to make a decision, then I can get to the do. But first, needs to come our identity, and our identity comes from who or what God did, and, and what he does comes from who he is. And so I've always found it helpful to walk through that, especially before uh, a sermon, when you're going to hear so many things about how incredible uh, these, these giants of faith were uh, in, these, in these stories. Not, they weren't perfect. They were human just like us. And so before we even start reading about Moses and his faith, uh, I want to make two things clear, kind of two sides, because we can often be divided into two categories, not super specific. They're pretty broad categories when it comes to responding to what the Word is proclaiming to us, responding to what we're hearing. And so Two groups. For those who will hear of Moses today, uh, the call to put your faith in the Lord through everything, and immediately you feel shame and inadequacy for your lack of faith. You can look back on your week, your past month, and see that you have not been faithful. You have not shown faith in the Lord. Please, today, before we get on, um, before we move on, feel the love and the grace of the Father wash over you. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect. God is the only one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. 
but also it's the right hand of God intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger, or a sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing created will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are saved. No matter how down you are right now or in the next hour or when you go home, because of your lack of faith, you are saved. You are loved. And nothing can separate you from that love. Believe that today. I'm, I'm praying that you believe that today. Let that truth compel you. Let the truth urge you to put your faith in God. He cannot let you down. It is impossible for him to let you down. And then the other group, for those like me often, who hear all that, uh, who hear uh, these accounts of this hall of faith, see the lack of faith in our lives, and believe that there's nothing we can do for it. I'm not down about it. I just know, oh well, grace covers me. I'm, I'm loved. I'm saved. God doesn't require anything of me. And so let me just sit here and do nothing. Like, like I don't have to do anything, and, and I know I'm not perfect. And so let me just sit here, um, be a little pouty butt, uh, all the while turning away from Christ to sin. Not trying to prove ourselves. I'm not trying to prove myself. I'm just done. I'm apathetic to who I'm called to be. So if that's you, uh, I pray that you hear Romans 6 today. I often have to read it. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And then verse 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is free from sin. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. If that's you today, or if that is somewhere in between where you are right now, feeling this, uh, this need to prove yourself just so down because you're imperfect, you're such a sinner, know that God loves you. And if you're over here and you're just like, I don't care anymore. I'm done. Christ has saved me. Christ uh, loves me. So let me just do my own thing. The sin or the sin of omission, I don't need faith. And, and, and a lot of times we're somewhere in between. Um, for you this morning, um, I, I, I pray um, that we hear that, that you've been saved from your lack of faith, you've been saved from your shame, saved from sin, and we are called to something so much greater with the help, thankfully, of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside us. And there's a third group, um, unfortunately. If none of this applies to you at all because you do not know Jesus, um, I pray that this morning the gospel pierces your heart um, today and, and, and make clear to you this need for perfect, unending love in Jesus. I, I pray that you desire faith this morning. All right, finally, you turned to Hebrews 11 like an hour ago. Let's get to it. Uh, starting in verse 23. By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. 
By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, for Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. By faith, he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea and though they were, uh, as though they were on dry land. When the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. Seven verses um, in this hall of faith dedicated to Moses and his story of faith. So we've seen a specific theme with each of these stories of faith. Everyone revealed their faith through different situations, um, like leaving a hometown, sacrificing a son, um, to being too old to have uh, kids. Each story uh, shows faith in the light of something coming against that faith. And so right now I am uh, reading a really great fiction series um, because that's what you do when you're overwhelmed with everything else in life. You escape to fiction. I'm listening to Audible. I don't want to lie to you. I'm not reading it. Um, there's no time to actually read things anymore. Um, in, in this series, uh, in this world, there are two forces um, or two gods, uh, lowercase gods, uh, that have been going back and forth since the beginning of time. Uh, they're called perseverance and destruction. Um, their battle is described as a push and a pull. If something goes up, it must come down. It's just they're equal in power. And so forever, perseverance will persevere, destruction will destroy, and it goes back and forth, yin and yang, like that kind of thing and, and everything else in life. Um, and so for us, that is not the case, thankfully. Um, for each of these stories, it is not the case for the one true God who holds all things together. No matter the obstacle in each of these stories of faith, big or small, God absolutely crushes it. There is no back and forth. There's no, I don't know, maybe might not be able to do it this time. There's a crazy flood, a big boat, okay? You're too old to have kids. No, you're not. Um, he is forever faithful no matter what. There is no other side. He is one, period. There, there is nothing else coming uh, against him to cancel out God's power. He is faithful. Now, Joseph and I talked about something similar the other day. Um, the older you get, the more insignificant those obstacles um, to your faith seem. And so I can imagine um, when Abraham is told to sacrifice his son, that was a big deal. And then later on in Abraham's life, he probably looked back on that and like, God is so faithful. We were talking about it the other day uh, when the Stoggers moved here. I hope they don't mind me talking about them right now. Um, Joseph did not have a job for a while. Uh, nothing was opening up. There's a lot of time with Audrey um, and woodworking. Um, we built a bookshelf. Uh, but during that time, uh, we as a group, uh, close friends, MC, uh, we were constantly praying, constantly asking around, hoping something open up. Uh, I know it was stressful for them to carefully plan and budget um, on one paycheck. It's stressful for me to budget around two paychecks. Um, but now we were talking, we look back on those times and think of how easy and simple that was, that time period. That was not the case at the time. And whoever, whatever we were going through as well. Um, over and over, God proves his faithfulness when all we see is a hopeless situation. We see how hopeless it is. We see how just hugest wall is in front of us that there's no way I can scale that. There's no way I can get over that. He wipes it out. He wipes out whatever is opposing us. And then we look back and think, of course, 
Of course God took care of me through all that. It, it, it was simple. No matter how just terrible the situation is, we can look back however many years from then and just look back and be like, yes, of course God helped me through that. It was insurmountable at the time, and now it's just <laughs> like a little step. With Moses, uh, verse 23 reminds us of one of those situations that seemed hopeless and impossible for Moses. Why? Because he is a newborn. So it's completely out of his hands. His safety, whatever happens to him, it's completely out of his hands. But it's also through this that God shows how faithful he is. That's verse 23. By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw the child was beautiful. They didn't fear the king's edict. Before in reminders of everything Moses did in his life, first we see the faith of his parents. In order for Moses to get to the point in life where he can demonstrate his faith, where he can lead God's people out of Egypt, first he must survive the decree that Pharaoh has made that all Israelites, either like boy, Hebrew boys um, born, should be killed, will be killed. He had to survive that first. Moses' parents do what they must to protect their child without fear of what would happen to them if Pharaoh somehow found out. A king who has way more power to destroy anyone for defying them than anything that we will hopefully experience in our lifetime. Moses is protected in spite of that. Not because his parents were perfect, not because he was a beautiful, cute baby. Um, God faithfully protects Moses, eventually making a way for him to be raised by Pharaoh's daughter because God had a plan for Moses. Moses did not do anything awesome. His parents protected him for three months. That's incredible, um, but that's not why God saved Moses. God had a plan for Moses, and so he's going to be faithful. And so for you, do you know what God has promised you as a child of the king? A few weeks, we walked, past, we walked through a few of those promises that instead of just thinking and hoping that God takes care of me in some kind of vague way, how about I read Scripture and know what he's promised me and know how he's going to be faithful uh, to, to bring those promises to light? So read scripture, know what God has promised you. Whatever he wills is going to be done. Then verse 24 moves from the faith of his parents quickly um, into uh, motion. The, the faith of Moses himself becoming a man in Egypt, eventually leaving it all behind. Let's reread those. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin for he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. So we don't know exactly what the fleeting pleasures of sin were that Moses was leaving behind. We can't pinpoint. Um, I don't think it showed it in the, the cartoon even. And so even if we look at extra um, text, extra resources, um, but being the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, we can assume that Moses has, has had a life of luxury and status. Um, those are not sinful by themselves, of course, but when allowed to be everything we live for, they obviously become idols. And so Moses instead does not rely on his nobility and status as his foundation, but rather trusts in God and the God of his people, renouncing any claim he has uh, as a part of Pharaoh's family. And how does he do this? Exactly. This is from Exodus 2, uh, starting at 11. Years later, after Moses had grown up, he went out to his own people 
and observe their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, one of his people. Looking all around and seeing no one, he struck the Egyptian dead and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked them, um, the one of the wrong, why are you attacking your neighbor? And verse 14 says, who made you a commander and judge over us? The man replied, are you planning to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses became afraid and thought, why I did, what I did is certainly known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. So as far as we know, Moses simply doesn't tell his adopted family he's leaving everything behind. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't tell them um, passively that, okay, I'm renouncing this claim, not like Michael Scott declaring bankruptcy. Um, Moses is not passive with his faith right here. His actions are very clear. His actions are what show his faith. This signal where Moses' loyalties were, demonstrating that he associated himself with the people of God rather than with the Egyptians, knowing that staying would have brought great delight and pleasures as sin does, but also knowing the enjoyment of that sin is fleeting. This past week for our school, uh, I'm, I work at a junior high, if you don't know me, um, was Red Ribbon Week. Um, that was the first time I said it correctly um, this week. Uh, and so uh, teaching our kids about drugs, mainly they focus on vaping because uh, a lot of kids vape now. And uh, one lady at uh, an assembly said, I don't want to lie to you. Like drugs and vaping, all this stuff makes you feel really good. Uh, and it's true. Like all this stuff is so good. And, and that's why it's addicting. That's why it's a thing. Um, but for Moses right now, he knows that that enjoyment of that sin is fleeting. It's not forever. Moses instead turns away and turns to the God who brings joy everlasting. And then when we get to verse 26, a really important statement from the author, reproach. Uh, reproach meaning disapproval or disappointment. Uh, though nothing is said of the Messiah in Moses' story, um, by claiming that Moses, uh, his suffering, he is suffering for the sake of Christ, um, would bring greater treasure than anything Egypt could offer, brings the original audience uh, and us back in, uh, especially for us. If I'm reading uh, anything in the Old Testament and all of a sudden I see um, uh, just this, this prophecy of a, a king who will come or um, a greater priest, I, I see something like I'm drawn back in. Old Testament, Old Testament, I got to do my Bible reading plan. And then, oh, it's Jesus. Yes, another promise fulfilled. And so this is what it does for the original audience too. Uh, he brings the audience back in. This is about Jesus, reminding us of how many times the Messiah is mentioned throughout the Old Testament around the story of Moses, not directly in the story. He is the prophet who is better than Moses, Deuteronomy. He is the king promised throughout Genesis. The scepter promised to Judah uh, in Genesis belongs to Jesus, and he is the star from Jacob who carries the scepter in Numbers. And who will crush the enemies? of the Lord, crush the head of the snake. Moses is able to look past the temporary pleasures and comfort to a reward so much greater. That is how he's able to have faith to leave Egypt and choose to suffer with the people of God. Like Moses, we are called to suffer for the sake of Christ. It looks different for each of us, but the author of Hebrews uses this experience of Moses to call the readers, original and, and new, to this sacrifice. 
Tom Schreiner put it really well. I just want to add this quote from him in his commentary of this chapter. Uh, Persecution wasn't a pleasant prospect for the people originally reading this. The author observes that Moses didn't relish suffering either. The pleasures of sin are real, and following that pathway can bring remarkable delights, but such delights are temporary and fleeting. Far better to join Moses and look to the future reward, a permanent reward that will bring happiness that will never be revoked. And so what does your faith look like when you know you're going to face persecution? Do we choose to live righteously when it would be easier to do otherwise? Do we run to Jesus when we know that there might be temporary loss or pain when we let go of the things of the world? Or do we tend to lean on earthly comfort, understanding that we, we know? What are we doing? Are we running to Jesus? Are we running to sin? Verse 27, um, this next section, and Moses goes from, Faith when he knows he'll be persecuted. Faith when leaving behind sin to now faith uh, in the midst of possible fear. Verse 27 says, By faith he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, for Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. By faith he instituted the Passover, the sprinkling of the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. By faith they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land, when the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. After we see Moses' faith in persecution, we now see it clearly in the face of potential fear and potential death. Moses has faith that God, the one invisible who he can see, will protect and allow Moses and the rest of the Israelites to persevere as a transition out of Egypt, as they escape Egypt. That is not to say that Moses was completely without fear. It's confusing because if you read it again, not being afraid of the king's anger. Uh, we read earlier in Exodus that after Moses found out others knew he committed murder, uh, he became afraid and fled Egypt, as you would if someone finds out you committed murder. Um, so why does the author say that Moses left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger? Two things. Uh, one, he's either referring to when Moses leaves later with his people. So it would be true that Moses is no longer afraid of Pharaoh and, and, and the king's anger, or the author describes Moses' overall mindset. And, and this could definitely be true for us today too. All right, and so yes, I am afraid of certain things. Um, if you knew me better, you could hear my story and, and know exactly what I'm afraid of. I'm not going to tell you right now. That'd be embarrassing. Um, if I wasn't afraid of anything at all, I'd never take any precaution whatsoever. The beards would never wear seatbelts in our minivan. We would not look both ways before crossing the road while we trick-or-treat. I would not make sure all the doors are locked before going to bed. Uh, I would maybe watch scary movies with Chan. But no, I am afraid. I, I'm, I'm afraid for my life. I'm afraid for certain things. I chew my food because I don't want to choke and die. I'm afraid that if I swallow my food whole, I might choke and die. I don't want to do that. I'm afraid of those things. There's some fear involved in our lives because this world is broken and we are human. We're, we're not meant to fear everything. Who can come against us? Um, but we're human. We live in a broken world. We are afraid. That does not mean we live in constant fear of the world. If we completely lived in fear of everything around us all the time, what would, um, what would that mean? That would mean we don't trust in God's protection at all. 
Therefore, we do not have faith in God to protect us. Therefore, we don't believe in his word. Therefore, we probably don't belong to him. We aren't truly his. And so if we were constantly living in fear of everything around us, that would be the fruit of unbelief, probably. Um, but Moses and the Israelites are able to cross the Red Sea because ultimately they fear the Lord and trust that he will take care of them and provide for them no matter what. And so there is fear. Like we have fear. If you tell me you're not afraid of anything right now, I'm like, all right, dude, chill out. You know, go lift some weight. I don't know what. Like you're afraid of things. Even the, the, the toughest person in here is, would be afraid to lose his family right now. Like we're afraid of things, but are we living in constant fear? If, 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 if we're not, that, that, I think it's okay um, to have these precautions, to live in this broken world, to be a broken people, but overall, trust in God that he is going to protect us. Wear your seatbelts, but trust that God is going to protect you. And so they cross the Red Sea. Um, they fear the Lord. They don't fear the sea. They don't fear Pharaoh's army coming up behind them. They fear the Lord. They know that he's going to protect them. And then in these verses, the same thinking applies to this fear specifically of authority or lack thereof. Moses' parents uh, obviously did not fear the king's edict that would have allowed their son to be killed. They go against that to protect their son as they should. Moses does not fear Pharaoh as his heart continues to harden, going back over and over again until God's people are finally freed. Moses doesn't fear him. He doesn't fear authority. He doesn't fear what Pharaoh um, thinks or what Pharaoh is, is doing. Uh, he knows that God's people should be freed. He needs to go back again and again and again, even though his heart continues to be hardened. With this, uh, we can't take uh, the opposition of authority, that idea in Exodus, in Hebrews, and run with it, immediately applying to our lives today, as we do with a lot of things in Scripture. Um, this commanding that every male child born to a people group be killed is not the same as asking us to wear a mask. It's not the same as the laws we have today. Um, it is not the same. We know that. Given to Caesar what is Caesar's, just like I have faith that God will protect me when I get in my car and when I drive to work or when I just walk around with my kids or just when I sit and nothing just health-wise suddenly crashes and burns in my body. Just like I have faith in that, I still uh, believe that God is the king of kings, my ultimate authority, but I pay taxes. I, I obey the law. Thankfully, I don't have to wear a mask anymore at school, but when I was asked to put a mask on, I put a mask on, because why wouldn't I? Um, and so this opposition to authority um, is really, really strong um, in our context right now, obviously, um, and, and, and especially even in our church. Uh, and it's kind of split a lot of times in Monroe, I think. There is the side that is all in, and, and whatever authority says, I got to do it. I, I was called a sheep on Facebook one day um, because I put a mask on. Um, but then there's the other side. It's no matter what opposition says, my eighth graders at school, absolutely. No matter what authority says, I'm opposing that. This just defiant just thing in us that says, no, you are not my God. You can't control me. I, I must defy you because that seems wrong to me. Um, that is um, evident in our community today, absolutely. And so if there comes a day when our government puts a law in place that calls the church to 
blatantly go against the word of God, then we would absolutely have faith. Absolutely have faith that God would continue to work things out for our good as we went against what our earthly authority commands. Absolutely, no question about it. If that, if that day comes. But until then, I think we're going to be okay. Um, I do. I think we're going to be okay with obeying laws that are put in place, respecting and praying for those in office, no matter how hard it seems to me and you, praying and voting in a way that faithful men and, and women of God may be elected and put in these positions of power. Like we can do all of this and still be called children of God. I, I believe that. But it's when we put too much into the government, into authority, that puts us in a bind. Now we see that Moses just simply did not fear Pharaoh and, and, and continued to go back um, because God's, he, God commanded him to free his people. But we put too much in this government. And one way or the other, uh, it's when it really gets hard. Whether it becomes an idol that you almost worship the man in office even though he is a flawed human. Or the other way, where you complain constantly, and not you, when we complain constantly and go against everything that comes from the other flawed man because he's not the flawed man you voted for. Um, when we put so much into what our authority says and, and, and so much worry and, and so much thinking about how this world is going to crash and burn, our country, this country is going to crash and burn because of this, I think that's where we get kind of in trouble. Both can be extremely dangerous. Both can cause a lot of hurt within the church because people love each other so much, but when we get so caught into this, um, it does hurt. The splits can't happen. Can we trust that God will take care of his children no matter who is in office? I, th I believe we can do that. And then specifically, looking at the example of Moses and Pharaoh, Moses knows that Pharaoh's heart is hardening. He, he knows. Moses knows every time he goes back to warn the ruler. He's not afraid, but God continues to send him back time after time. If you're reading Exodus and reading the plagues, it almost seems like, come on, God, just like throw Moses a break. Come on, man, like throw him a bone. Like, why do you keep sending him back? He knows, and he goes back over and over again. He will not, Pharaoh will not let God's people go. Moses knows that. But through every warning, every plague, Moses has faith in God. Because God is working for much more than simply freeing his people. Specifically, Exodus 9 says, For this time I'm about to send all my plagues against you, speaking to Pharaoh, your officials and your people. Then you will know there is no one like me in the whole earth. By now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague and you would have been obliterated from the earth. However, I have let you live for this purpose right here to show you my power and to make my name known on the whole earth. God is working for so much more than what we can see. And so by simply putting our faith in God, if that is boiled down to um, faith that God's going to take care of me and, and, and my family and my household, I, I, don't, I don't think our picture of faith is big enough. God is in control. He is sovereign over all things. So we must have faith that he's going to take care of all things. That does not mean that gas prices are going to be lower than they are right now. It's fine. I saw a really funny sticker on a gas pump the other day just because people are just kind of mean sometimes. But that doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that God's going to take care of us by like 
filling my wall a little bit more so I don't have to pay much for gas. But we must believe that he is absolutely going to take care of everything. He's going to take care of his people, even if it means that we die because of what government does. Even if it means that, because our reward, the reward that Moses was looking forward to, is so much greater than anything here. So much greater than beautiful fall weather. So much greater than not having to wear a mask when I go to school. So much greater than low gas prices or whatever else government is doing or not doing for us right now. Our reward is so much better than our future, than our, than our families, than anything. So even if we lose our lives, like Moses, we can look forward to that in the midst of persecution, in the midst of fear or lack thereof of authority, we can look forward to an incredible reward. We get to be with Jesus forever. No longer just muffled out and, and, and overcome with sin. Uh, we are free from sin forever, uh, and then someday we'll come back to new earth uh, and experience a life that we can't even imagine right now. This is not it. This, this world, the, the politics, our families, uh, the good food, the good drink, all this stuff. This is not it. We have something so much better uh, coming for us. And so overall, uh, my hope is that we, as the Crossing Church, have faith in that day, in, in, in God bringing us to that day. And so have faith uh, in the everyday stuff of life, that, that he's going to take care of you and your family, um, that you can have a job, that you can provide for your family, um, that, that good things happen for you, um, but overall, um, let's not become burdened down when, when things don't go our way, when we are persecuted, because we are called to suffer. And, and let's not get burdened down um, when fear seems to spike uh, and the world seems it's going to crash and burn all of a sudden. Let's not be burdened down with that. Instead, let's have faith that, that God has us, He is in control, and we have uh, a much better reward coming for us. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth that you are absolutely in control of all things. Um, we love you. We thank you for that uh, right now. God, I pray that um, as we move uh, throughout life, uh, as we face these obstacles to our faith, as we face persecution, as we suffer as a lot of things don't go our way, God, you continue to strengthen our faith. God, make the Crossing Church a Bible-believing, Bible-reading church where we know of who Jesus is. We can see your promises. We can see the promises fulfilled in Scripture and know that, that we will be taken care of, God, that we know we will persevere. We know that no matter what, even Death cannot bring a loss to your people, God. You have won. God, we thank you for that truth. Be with us today as we continue to worship, as we take communion, and as we're sent back out into our city, into our communities, into our jobs. Uh, and we have this truth in us. We have the Spirit to help us, God. I pray that you urge us, you compel us, give us a desperation for those who do not know you. Um, that we proclaim the gospel to them. God, saturate um, our community, saturate our cities uh, with this truth, this love um, that you have for us. God, we love you. I thank you so much. 
uh, for your son, for the gospel. Amen.